And now Harrod is going to come and read to us from Matthew's Gospel before Tim comes and speaks to us, continuing our series on mission. This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, and can be found on page 916 in the Green Bibles. Matthew, chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Brilliant. Thanks, Anne Harrod, for reading. I'd love you to to keep that open. Page 916. In the Bibles. Um, And I'm going to, I've got these... The sheet here with the with the sort of headings that's a rough route map uh, on what I feel the Lord has given me to say for today. As he wants to speak to us through His Word and by His Spirit. Uh, just I'm so I'm conscious it's cold. I, I am conscious it's cold. I don't know why the heating's on, pumping out as much as it can. I think it's just cold outside, and this building does get cold. So I'm sorry, um, but but bear with me. Uh, huddle up, you know, snuggle up in the pews um, if you get chilly. Actually, there could be quite a lot of heat in the staff team uh, sorry, in the next few days. Um, today, uh, Fulham play Tottenham. Will is a Tottenham fan. Uh, I go and watch the Fulham boys. Uh, so that could be quite interesting at the end of the day. 
And then um, uh, Jamie is a Newcastle fan. And uh, Jamie, there he is. And um, actually, actually, can we just say, because um, when was it? Wednesday? Tuesday? When was your birthday? Thursday. I knew it. Just 21. Jamie Maxwell. Hey? 21. It is scary, isn't it? When you think how much he's done at such a tender age. I'm the same age as his dad, which makes me feel... Uh, I don't know where to go with that, really. Poor lad. He sort of sits in a staff meeting thinking, oh, dad. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Jamie and I have got a little bet on, because Fulham are playing Newcastle on Wednesday evening, and we've got a little bet on. If Newcastle beat Fulham, I'm going to preach. The next Sunday I preach, I've got to wear a Newcastle shirt. But... If Fulham beat Newcastle, then he's got to lead worship wearing a Fulham shirt. And that's the deal. It's been witnessed that. So we'll see what happens uh, next Sunday. If ever there was a reason to come to church. Let's pray. <laughs> I think we need to. <laughs> Father, amid all the distractions, a bit, just, uh, a bit chilly, or other things going on, we want to focus on you as we've worshipped you. And invited you, as it were, to be very present amongst us, for us to be aware of you. Now give us a hunger, we pray, for your word, that we might uh, eat it, as it were, that it would energize us to live our lives for you in this world. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Let's uh, trot through this at a pace, because uh, we're talking about mission, as, as uh, Will was saying. Mission, not... So much something that the church does occasionally, that individual Christians do every now and then. Some little project, maybe a week in the year that we go on. The church is mission. The way in which we live is mission. We are resident aliens in this world. Our true home is heaven. And we look forward to that with eager anticipation. Meanwhile, as we're called to live out our lives here on earth, we do so going out to those people who don't yet know the love and the grace and the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? And what is this sort of radical community that God is, uh, through Christ, is calling together? Well, there's a sort of mandate here in this uh, chapter that we've just read and, and on through chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Matthew. Uh, uh, often known as a Sermon on the Mountain. No, yeah, it's a Sermon on the Mountain. These bits here, the, the Beatitudes, the blessings for those who seek to live this missional lifestyle, this lifestyle of, of, of blessing, this lifestyle of contagious kingdom. Three things, a city on a hill, a salt on the earth, of the earth, and the light of the world. All of them are obvious. As we look at this little uh, section, verses 13 to 16, they're all obvious. A city on a hill, salt in the earth, engaging with the earth, light. They are obvious. And they're metaphors for each of us. I want to unpack uh, each of them, uh, if I may. A city on a hill, Jesus says, cannot be hidden. I want to pick this up because Jesus mentions here, uh, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot, cannot be hidden, verse 14. And picking up from, from what Will was saying last week, and uh, we're working hard to make sure these talks are on the, the download section of the website. So if you missed it last week, download it because it was um, a fantastic talk. Will kind of giving a biblical overview, a biblical understanding of the city and acknowledging that basically a, a city, a conglomeration of people has within it good and bad. We can look, at, look out at London, the, the city in which we live today, and we can see so many things that, 
sickened and saddened our hearts. But we can see so many things too, so much potential as well as so much actual good. And we reminded Will last week, telling us, you know, kind of God's plan for the city and for Christians within the city, for God's people in the city, is that they should, through the prophet Jeremiah, kind of, you know, make your home there. Uh, set, you know, build your houses, make your home, marry, uh, work there and engage, but differently. Don't, don't flee from the city. Live in the city, but live differently. Difference for God is the platform for redemption. It's the way when, we, when things rub up against each other that are different, it begs questions, it, it, it raises sort of reactions. And we're called to, to beg those questions in the way we live by engaging in the world. So build the city. But how do we do that? In, certainly in such a sort of huge and bewildering city as ours, London, with so many competing values and culture claims. And this is where uh, St. Augustine comes in with his magnus opus, The City of God. And just as I haven't read loads of volumes, I haven't, I've only read praises and distillations of them. But, but here's, here's the core. Augustine basically says that cities are shaped by desire. The, the sort of culture and the feel, the vibe, if you like, of a city is shaped by desire. Either, he's ultimately either a desire of man for man, for humankind, or a desire of God for God. It's either shaped by a desire for man or shaped by a desire for God and the things of God. So a city shaped by the desires of man, well, we see it all around, don't we? I mean, I know I'm going to, this is broad brushstroke, but, but essentially greed and pride. Mark any city, think of, we will mention last week, Babel. Decided to have the biggest that's ours. And we see all around them, we, the idols, tokens, to a world beset by, and a city beset by greed and pride. And Jesus is calling us to build a different kind of city. Not one where we kind of, the, the greedy accumulation of wealth, or the building up of one's own identity in order to secure oneself, often at the expense of others. We, we think about Think about the rich. To, to a certain extent, people who are rich are rich at the expense of those who are poor. People who have one kind of identity, often if that identity has been built up and secured, it's at the expense of someone else's identity. And so living like that becomes actually exhausting. Have I got enough? Am I secure enough? I'm constantly pushing out the people that God has created me to live amongst and to relate to. Contrast that with the city shaped by God and for God. It, it, it's fueled by his life. So, so the qualities we see there are, are of, of love and of joy and of peace. Because the citizens of the city of God are inspired and fueled and resourced by him. They live their lives at the expense of Jesus who died outside the city in order that we can be called to live 
in it, the city of our God, the holy place, we're saying. And we're called to, to build that city, heaven, if you like, our true home, revealed to us through the end time spirit in our lives now, so that we see, we get a taste, a glimpse of what living in the holy city, the great city of God, would look like here on earth. So, so rather than looking to grab and get money, sex, power, the great idols of our age, we look to give money. We look to give power and empower others. We look to give love rather than grab at sex. It's, it's countercultural stuff, but within the other cultures. Build the city. Engage in the city that is on the hill, that's obvious to everyone. That's what we're called to do as, as individual missionaries, each and every one of us, to build our part of the city. Whether it's in a school or a hospital, whether it's in an office, in the financial sector or the, uh, uh, in, in politics, uh, wherever it may be, in the home, in our neighborhoods and communities, build your bit of the city of God. Don't live selfishly for oneself because, because God won us as his citizens selflessly. He gave his only son. It was a selfless act that births life in us that builds the city of God. So we mirror and echo that. We live selflessly, deliberately for others. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So how do we live? How does this city get built? What are the, what's the sort of core ingredients? Two things, these second two headings. And notice that these are things that Jesus describes as, as just current realities for his followers. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And verse 14, you are the light of the world. The city is built through salt and light, to use these metaphors. It's not something we aspire to be. You know, one day maybe I'll be salty. One day maybe I'll be light. Jesus says you are salt now. The issue is not whether you're salt or not. You are salt. Therefore, how will you impact society? You are light. You shine. So the question is then, how will you shine to build the city, to impact the community, to transform it? into Jesus' likeness. Let's look at these just briefly. Salt. Implicit in this is, is distinctiveness. Because you see what Jesus goes on to say. You are the salt of the earth, verse 13, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? So this was the issue for God's people, Israel. I interestingly, you notice God had called Abraham, journey with the people, promised land, Israel. And the, the, the nation of Israel descended from Abraham, were to be sort of God's people as a light to the nations. And if you like, a salt in the earth. And, and Israel placed right in the middle of all the surrounding nations. God didn't call a people and then think, well, I, you know, I better not let you get contaminated, so I'll just, I'll, I'll sort of get you to live on this little island here in the middle of the sea, away from, anyway, so you won't get sullied or compromised. God's desire has always been, his plan has always been to call a people his own, to live amongst them, to be present amongst them. 
and for them to be present amongst all the surrounding nations, to impact them as he has impacted the people. So he's a light to them. He's life to them. And as they live in his light and live in his life, so they are for the surrounding nations, for the world. And nothing's changed. We're called to be distinctive as we live amongst the people that God has called us to live and work amongst. Salt, it preserves. I'm sure you know, in the olden times before, refrigeration and freezers and so on, uh, going on a sort of several weeks journey on a ship, how did you keep the meat from going off? You rubbed it in salt, and the salt helped to preserve the meat, prevent it from going off. And we're called to get into that part of the city that's decaying and prevent decay by the way we speak, by the way we act, by the way we think, by the way we demonstrate how we prioritize all our, the things about, you know, how we prioritize our time, how we use our energies to prevent decay. And also, salt brings flavor. It enhances a, a, a bland plate of food, a little bit of salt mixed in, and it helps to draw out the flavors. Again, the way in which we act at work, the, the way in which we speak to people or of people. Does it enhance? Does it bring flavor round about us? You are the salt of the earth. How salty are we being in terms of preserving, preventing decay, preserving that which is good, enhancing and bringing out the flavor? And in order to do that, in this city, we're called to engage. See, as Christians, it's not just that we um, engage with one another here, where we are, as it were, in the salt shaker. We're in the salt cellar here. We're sort of gathered in that little salt cellar in the middle of the table. And, and as you, it's, it's obviously, it's good to build friendships and encourage and strengthen one another. But as salt, we're called to engage out of here. Now, we've said, you know, it may be that God is calling us to engage 5,000 miles away or 50 yards away. It's all mission. But that's where we're called to engage. The salt cannot impact the plate of food if it stays in the salt cellar. And, and you see, in our postmodern 21st century city, beset as it is with the kind of, you know, undergirding individualism I, in a kind of consumerist society where basically I, you know I can kind of I, I buy my way into you know, buy my way into whatever identity or whatever need I feel I have I become this sort of self-sufficient automaton this, this single person isolated it, it's such an isolating experience being in the city it can be such an anonymous existence for so many people and our call is to engage and connect. That's how the salt is different. We don't, we don't withdraw. There's a temptation of, oh, you know, the, the sort of rat race and city living. Oh, I just want to, uh, how I long to just, you know, I, I dream of a, of a mansion in Hampshire. There's a rolling fields away from anyone. And then, oh, without, oh, heaven, oh, bliss. 
It's not our call. You are salt, and salt is called to engage, to interact in order to transform. We need to recognize the anonymity and the loneliness and the isolation that is felt all around us and play our part in connecting and engaging. So again, in our place of work, whatever the, your context may be, are there ways in which you can, you can kind of create space to draw people in, to engage with you and with one another? And ultimately, as they taste your saltiness with the Lord, there's something different about the way in which he goes about the workplace. There's something different about the way she is at the photocopier or at the coffee machine or over lunch. There's something different about the way in which they open up their home and make us welcome. They invite us into their space and somehow it seems to be our space. And mm, that tastes good. See, the, the, the call, if you like, is that, that we live our lives in such a way that people say, they leave a good taste. That was good time. That was a good conversation. I'd like to be with them again. You are the salt of the earth. And secondly, finally, you are the light of the world. You are the light. If you have Jesus living in you, if you've simply kind of recognized you cannot do this on your own, you've tried it in your own strength, you've come in some way, shape, or form to the end of your tether and you say, oh God, a point in a sense of desperation. And, and, and you recognize what God has done in Christ in rescuing you, you from your own effort. He puts his effort in you, his life. If you've seen that, such that you say, Jesus, please, I want to live my life for you. Come and enter my life. Empower my life with your spirit that I may be empowered and guided and directed to live for you. If that's you, then you are the light. His light shining in you. Now, I, I was told this the other day. I, I, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's one of those things where I, it sounds like I'm sure it could be. Apparently, if it's absolutely pitch black and you lit a candle, it could be seen seven miles away. I guess that's testimony to the, the wonder of our eyes, um, of our ability to see. But testimony, too, to how effective light is, the scope of light. A single candle can be seen seven miles away if it's completely pitch black. You are the light of the world. Again, notice, not the light of the church. The light of the world. We, we gather here, if you like, to kind of encourage light, speak forth light, to recognize light in one another. Encouraged and empowered so that we go out to impact the world, to impact our city, to impact our community. We're light, not just for an hour or so on Sunday, and maybe an hour or so midweek if we meet up, and then the rest of the time we kind of put that stuff to one side and get on with normal life, bashing away in the darkness with everyone else. We're called to live differently all the time, 24-7. You are salt. You are light. Shine before everyone so that they can see your good deeds and give glory to God. Just finally, those, uh, that word good is the word kalos in Greek. It means beautiful, um, sort of winsome, attractive. Ooh, it's that kind of, mm, oh, yes, I want more of that. 
we should live in, a, in such a way that people go, wow, that is, that's, that's beautiful. That seems real. I, that's so attractive. I want more of that. On this sheet at the bottom, just one or two questions that please take away for house groups, prayer triplets, whatever. Just personal thought and reflection. What kind of things? When have you seen someone else demonstrate something, live in such a way that that's good? It's different. It needs a good taste. That, that's beautiful. That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing that they did or said. The way in which they've acted, the way in which they've chosen to live. Paul says, doesn't he, in one of his letters, whatever is good, whatever is tro- true, whatever is noble, whatever is beautiful, think about such things. And think with a view to, to living it out in our everyday lives. We're, we're looking at rags, our regular acts of grace, because they're not things that we do every now and then. Acts of grace in our local community to transform it. It's not sort of once a month on a Sunday evening or here and there. We, we want to make them something that every single member of this missional body is engaged with in some way, shape, or form on a regular basis. So that we can build the city of God in a visible way. So that we can be salt that leaves a good taste. That we can be light that see, people see our good deeds and go, wow, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. I want to be part of that missional community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Will, just a moment or two for us to respond, and then we'll uh, come to sing our final song.